I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I love your dog, Biggie. Biggie's right here asleep. Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining me here on Reppin. I'm Evelyn, your host. Today, I have one of the most recognizable on-camera personalities. She's an Emmy winner who has dominated the airwaves as a host, producer, and reporter of shows like Entertainment Tonight, the PBS show My Generation, and her very successful self-titled talk show. She's also a tremendous advocate for healthcare, wellness, and caregiving, and has an incredible foundation called Lisa's Care Connection. They offer free services and support to help families cope when facing a chronic illness or disease. She's also an author. Her books, including New York Times bestseller, Take Two, Your Guide to Happy Endings, and New Beginnings and Fierce Optimism, seven secrets for playing nice and winning big. These highlight her ability to provide practical inspiration to anyone who believes they can create a successful life without selling out or giving in. And this is so true because every time I've had the opportunity to work with her, she has been the epitome of professionalism. She is unfailingly optimistic and she is all about giving her energy to empowering others to live their best life. Honestly, she's really nice, which can be really hard to do sometimes. We're going to learn why she says that word needs to be rebranded. So take some notes, everyone. That's right. We've got Lisa Gibbons. Lisa, thank you so much for being here. I know how crazy your schedule is. So thank you. How are you? 
I'm doing really well. Thank you for asking. I hope that you are too. And part of the reason why I answer that way is I try to be aware of our collective need to touch base with each other. You know, we're hardwired to connect. Uh, It's in our DNA to care. And when we get separated from that for any reason, if it's depression or anxiety or the pandemic or feeling hopeless or all those human emotions that affect us all, the further we get away from that, the less well we feel. I think the strongest pillar of of mental health and um, I, I try to prioritize that. So I'm doing well. Long answer. Now, when I say that you're busy, let's just rattle a list of things that you've accomplished in your career. You're an advocate, absolutely, with uh, caregiving and Alzheimer's, for health and well-being within ourselves and each other. You're a super successful businesswoman. You're a two-time New York Times bestselling author. You've been a host. I mean, is there anything that you haven't done yet? Oh, there's so much. Because I'm just trying to catch up. First of all, I love you for that list. That's lovely to hear. We all need to own our stories. And I think we need to bask in our backstory sometimes because it gives us a glimpse of the fearlessness um, that allowed us to accomplish something. And that's different than resting on your laurels, but saying, wow, okay, I remember how hard that was. I remember how hard it was to start that foundation or write that book or make that tough phone call or stand up to that person. And I think whenever we do that, we are proud and we grow our courage. And so to keep us from being in a position in our lives where we kind of shy from the try, I think if we say, okay, here's my story. I'm in the middle of writing it right now. We all are. If I can bask in that, that you know, character development of what got this person to this page, it's like remembering who you are. We're all made up of all of the experiences that we've gone through, the good, the bad, the ugly. I love your books, but let's talk about Fierce Optimism, The Secrets for Playing Nice and Still Winning Big. That is a really difficult thing, and yet you make it seem so effortless. And I think from all of the interactions that we've had together, I have witnessed nothing but that. And that is probably one of the trickiest things because the industry that we're working in is fickle. I love it, and I'm so lucky to work in it, but it is a difficult business. That is. And this world is difficult, but you have successfully been able to find the way to be nice, not compromise your integrity, and still win. I, I, I Hats off to you. How do you do it? I struggle. I try. I think the, the underscore there is you try. Look, I do believe that we all come predestined with a point of view, maybe. I mean, I've got three children. They have three wildly different points of view, and they have since their very first hello. But I was raised by parents who taught me to be not just because I'm from the South where that's kind of a easy quality to placate, you know, be nice. You know, I think that nice is not, uh, is not Pollyanna. I think it's an outreach of optimism, which is a learned trait. Some of us may have our lenses focused in that direction more easily than others, but I do believe that If you can retain your belief that tomorrow can be better, then it's easier to be nice to yourself and others today. And believe me, all my life, my friends, you know, I can induce eye-rolling just exasperation with um, my optimism, but it's not (laughs) Pollyanna. And here's what I've learned about it over the years, that 
If you're optimistic, that ties you to your resilience, right? Like the Tigger effect. You know, you bounce forward from one thing to the next, but you you aren't unaware that there are problems going on, but it's a mental competence. And it takes resetting all the time, but that mental competence stimulates your neurological pathways differently than people who are pessimistic. So what it really means is it's practical. It gets you tied to solutions faster. So you're walking on the sunny side of the street. That's great. The shadows are behind you. Like Colin Powell used to say that it's a force magnifier, right? So It's not just, well, I'm going to have a positive pep talk with myself. No, I'm going to allow myself the great mental advantage to tie myself to my resilience and be optimistic. You're a human being, so not everything has been easy, even though you make it look super easy. You just mentioned a little bit about some of the experiences that make us who we are. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me a, a story that was a defining moment for you that impacted you then that you still remember today, and it is still a cornerstone Mm. of Mm -hmm. your integrity in person. I'm wondering if everyone listening to you right now had a moment deep in their, you feel in your bones, um, where that resonates, because of course, those are the opportunities for us to look at how we responded and how it did change our path. And some of those aren't welcome changes. We all talk about, oh, the ability to navigate change and react and respond to change is what makes the difference. Yeah, that's true. Yes, and it really sucks. And the moment for me was I was at the height of my career. I was making a lot of money. I was hosting my talk show. I was working for ET. I was doing radio countdowns. I was living the life of my dreams. And I'm very close to my family and especially my mom. And when the word came that my mother had Alzheimer's, like her mother, my granny had had Alzheimer's, all the music in my life just stopped. I went 100% quiet. And I know there are a lot of people who can relate to that. Whatever breaks into your day-to-day, you get divorced, which I also did around that time. Someone gets sick, you get bankrupt. I mean, these are real life-changing moments. Uh, You get fired. All those things that come into play. And for me, it was kind of the, the culmination of mom got sick, my show that I loved so much that was my expression of joy and my gift that I really thought was what I had to offer the world. The show got canceled, I got divorced. Those were three moments that hit me um, like a tsunami. Yeah, I was angry and I was depressed and I couldn't find new music because I had gone emotionally deaf. And it took a lot of time. It took a lot of help of reaching out to other people to figure out how do I bolster myself. But This was um, around 2000, I guess, because mom died in 2008. And Alzheimer's, as many people know, is this long, cruel disappearance. Yeah. But back then, I mentioned that because I didn't have like my cell phone with me at the time. I had a little micro cassette recorder. And I used to go out after the show, I would rip my microphone off and just walk and walk and walk. And I would record the most primal screams and things I've never dared to say out loud into this recorder. I still have all those little tiny tapes. I've never listened to them, but it really helped. Um, 
just kind of releasing that, right? Yeah, you can't heal it if you don't reveal it. And I think that's true on big levels and the micro ones too. I know you were very close to your parents. Mm -hmm. And the Alzheimer's alone is devastating. And you were a caregiver for your mom. Can you talk a little bit about what that experience was like? What was hard about it and what you learned about being a caregiver and your relationship with your mom? And also how you're paying it forward because you have an incredible foundation, Lisa's Care Connection, that supports caregivers. I'd like to know sort of what some of the experiences are because mm-hmm. what you just listed, I mean, I, I can't imagine you not being emotionally deaf when you're hit with so much. Yeah. A lot of people may not fully realize what it means to take on the role of caregiver they haven't walked that path. You don't know what you don't know, right? Right. You don't know how to help. You don't know how to ask for help. Uh, It's all that our society is just not prepped for that kind of, of, of journey. But what I learned, you know, I'm a baby boomer. I think we have grown up with this sense of entitlement about our own ability to create change. Like, all right, I thought when mom got diagnosed, my way to hide, because we all find a way to deal with our feelings. And my sister got depressed. My brother went into denial. My dad locked the door and would take a bottle of wine and pictures of my mom. I got into a tailspin. And it was, all of these are coping mechanisms. Uh, We just all had different ones and I got over busy. And I'm like, okay, I'm not going to feel that pain. I'm going to fix it. And I made a bunch of phone calls and I traveled around and that was valuable. But what it taught me was you've got this moment. And I missed a lot of moments with my mom under this umbrella of protecting my own feelings and trying, thinking that I could ultimately help her. And when I was fumbling through this um, and she got diagnosed and I had the talk show, I said, you know, mom, it was the early stages that I don't know what to do. And she goes, well, honey, you're a storyteller. That's been your job. You've told the stories of so many people. You're just going to tell your story, our story, tell this story. And it was so beautiful and empowered me in so many ways, but it was also such good mommy advice because she gave different advice to my brother and sister. They're different kids. You get, they're loved differently. So I think she knew that giving me an outlet for it was the way for me to bolster myself. And I got to watch her name it and claim it and reveal it in a way that made me so proud of her, her courage. Ultimately, mom got silent like most people with this disease, if they live a long time, do when the brain no longer allows you to form words. And I learned to sit with the silence. That was hard. You know, I'm a TV person. I'm a reporter. You know, I write. Silence is not something that I have around me a lot. I'm a little afraid of that. It's like, I'm going to fill that dare. I'm going to fill that space. But I learned to just sit with my mom and, and brush her hair or rub lotion on her hands and realize that we contribute just by our, our vibrational energy. Like she didn't know who I was, but she knew that I loved her and I cared for her and she could receive that. That's amazing. Now, when you were caregiving for your mom, obviously this was a new role that you were shifting into or you had to take on. And people like us, we are 
solution oriented people. Yes. We are fixers. So for people who don't know what caregiving or have any sense of caregiving, they hear that it's hard. Can you give an example where you, for the first time within yourself, realized the Herculean task you were shouldering? Mm. What was difficult about it and how you, from those experiences, established Lisa's Care Connection and what you do in that organization? Thank you for that question. What was the most difficult about it was thinking I was alone, even within my own family, that no one could understand. I started blaming my brother and saying to my sister, you know, we've got enough going on, you know, almost like that snap out of it business. We had a a rocky start becoming united, but it was our mother who had really given us marching orders about her disease because she'd seen her mother go through it. So we were blessed more than most. But what I realized was, and what our family realized was, we wish we'd had a place where we could just talk to somebody who said, yep, I get it. I understand. Cry on my shoulder. Let's have another cup of coffee. Um, Let's take a walk. And we wish we'd had somebody who anticipated or could at least understand that even though we didn't tell you we needed anything, because you ask us and we say, nope, we're fine. Well, let me know if I can help you. Call me if I can help you. That's well-meaning, but we have to train ourselves to say, you know what I really could use? Can you come cut the grass next week? Um, Can you come over for 15 minutes so I can take a bath because I haven't showered in days? Right. We have to be specific. So that's part of what I learned was how to ask for help, how to share those strategies with others. Because when you're caring for someone, you lose your own identity, right? So it becomes about the target of your care. It becomes about the care receiver. Yes. And we created an organization where we said, wait, let's look at how we care for the caregiver so we get better outcomes for the care receiver by helping that person, that husband, wife, son, or daughter, who's not getting paid to do this, who wasn't trained to do this, who got recruited into this army where they do not want to fight, and yet they have to show up to the front lines every day. And the assault, the incoming, is overwhelming. Doctors that don't return your calls, getting reimbursed, you're going broke, you're emotionally drained, you aren't connecting with your friends, you're not taking care of yourself, you're getting fat, you're unhealthy, you haven't had the sunlight hit your face, Uh, you're not returning calls, your loved one, especially if there's someone with Alzheimer's disease, can't even tell you if what you're doing is making it better and often lashes out at you, the person who is trying so hard, so you're getting no hugs. You know, you're getting no emotional hugs that keep you going saying, great, I know this is helping her. I'm going to keep going. It's hard. Yeah. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores. And it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. 
With Rakuten, membership is free. And when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cashback boost. That's an extra 10% cashback on top of the 15% cashback. You won't see higher cashback rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Now, for people who have never been a caregiver, devil's advocate question, they might say to you, well, Lisa, it takes five minutes to take a quick shower. Why can't you just return a quick call? Yeah. Or, hey, it's just a quick run to the supermarket. Yeah, sure. What What is it that you'd want to say to them, it isn't just a quick jump to the supermarket. Can you explain sort of where that separation of understanding is? It comes, I think, first and foremost from grief and the effect of grief on your brain. No matter how smart you are, no matter how resourceful you are, no matter how much money you have, when you are under the assault of something so painful, you can't really access that knowledge and put it into action in your life. You just can't. If you were to scan the brain of a caregiver, it will show you parts of the brain that light up and parts that don't. And it's those parts that are not connecting with each other that it's not just a trip to the grocery store. It's that, oh my gosh, I, I'm in the car and I forgot my purse. I'm uh, My phone, where is my phone? I'm not even sure where my phone is. And then you cry because you feel guilty. And then, you know, it's just da-da-da-da-da-da-da. So all of the steps look easy until you realize that the average caregiver is typically two-thirds women. In her working years, she often has children of her own as well as caring for the parents. She's a breadwinner or participates in the financial health of the family, and all of that stuff goes out the window. So your children are not getting um, attention. They're seeing mommy cry. They're feeling insecure. That then becomes its own set of problems. Your siblings and your family, you're fighting over what's best, um, which is why it's so important to begin this journey as early as you can. Your workplace is not being sympathetic to the fact that you need more time off, that you're late. And when you are at work, you're not present at work and you're making mistakes. Yeah. So it's, it just collapses in on itself. It literally is a full-on assault that doesn't stop. Yeah. Now, there was another story that you had told me that I, I definitely wanted to include that really um, gave me insight to one of the many things that made you the woman that you are. And it was the one with your dad when you were in your little dress. Uh. <laughs> I want to I bring that in because I thought that was such an incredible story. And it also really showed like 
what some of those turning points are that you still live by today. I was a teenager, probably 15, 16 years old, as I recall. And my dad, who uh, is still alive, he's 93. He's unbelievable. My dad is, he is my favorite optimist next to Betty White. Uh, Such an inspiration to me and a, a dear friend. But daddy was running in the primary for governor of our state of South Carolina. And we would stump, our family would go out and stump my big brother and my mom and me. And daddy would go to one town and we'd go to another town. You know, this was way back in the day. So there was no social media. So you literally would show up in front of a tree and campaign. And so I was very excited about that. Um, I put on my best little Sunday sundress. So I looked, you know, like a nice girl. I'm standing there with my mom and uh, I was going to go speak, which I found very exciting and very heart-poundingly nerve-wracking at the same time. My dad's opponent happened to be at this stop on the stump tour. And he came up to me and he said, look at you, aren't you just the cutest little thing? I love that he sent his daughter, his little girl to come speak for him. Oh, darling, that's so cute. You just going out there, honey, you just do a fine job. And at that point, he reached underneath my little sundress and pinched my bottom. I know. It's like, what? (laughs) Like, it's like, how dare he? And how many times do people think they can get away with it? And was this his way of saying, oh, you sweet little thing? It was horrifying. Yeah, on multiple levels. On every level, right. So at about that time, um, you know, the, the, the announcer came over, the host came over and said, okay, it's time for you. It's your turn. At this point now, I'm just feeling like the whole room is spinning. You know, the trees are spinning. Yes. I remember this so well. I smoothed out my little dress and threw my shoulders back. And I stood there and I said, okay, I was planning to tell you all the reasons why I think my dad is qualified for this job. But instead, let me ask you, do you really want to vote for someone who would pinch a young girl's butt? (laughs) I look at that moment and I go, wow, that was amazing. And I immediately got scared. Daddy's going to kill me. Daddy's going to kill me. My mother swooped up. She grabbed me by my elbow and, you know, whisked me away. And she whispered to me, you know, you go, honey, you go. She was so proud. At dinner, when we all got together um, that night, daddy said, honey, you did the most difficult thing in life. You had an unpopular opinion against a popular person and you found your voice. I still get chill bumps sharing this story with all of you because the confidence he gave me to believe that my voice mattered was everything. Standing up to someone who was powerful was very liberating and set me on a path to know that like many people listening now, you do it once, you do it again, you do it again, you do it again. It's not like you ever get over it, but you come back and respond because I could rewind and remember Nothing happened to me. Like, right, they didn't arrest me. My hair didn't get caught on fire. (laughs) Nothing awful happened to me. Right. It was was okay, and I could do it again. You have continued to speak out, but also you continue to lift other people up despite how difficult that can be and how easy people forget to do that. With your foundation, Lisa's Care Connection, also with just your person of speaking out and speaking positively. Can you talk about how that is so much a part of your DNA and what you're trying to pay forward and how other people can too? I think that nice, we were talking about this earlier, I think nice needs a rehab in our culture. 
we need to look differently and what we believe it means to be kind or it means to be nice and to help. And believe me, somebody cuts me off in traffic. It's not like I'm going to be, have a great day. You know, (laughs) it's not not like I'm just like Miss lovey-dovey. So for me, I decided nice would stand for now I can empower. That's awesome. And that's really what it means to be nice is here's an opportunity for me to take a moment and, as you say, to kind of model that as people have modeled it for me. Olivia Newton-John was one of the women who set the pace for me in my life. I have no talent as a singer or a performer of any kind. <laughs> That's not true. But yeah. I, it is true. But I looked at Olivia. <laughs> Grease came out, I think, in 1978. And I was just getting out of college at the time. You know, I'm this kid from South Carolina. It wasn't like I ever thought I would meet Olivia Newton-John. And good Lord, I was never going to be friends with her. That was just... But I, I had her on my list of pace setters and call it a vision board, call it yeah. active dreaming, whatever. But I had Dick Clark and Olivia Newton-John for reasons that were very disparate. And for Olivia, then and now, she has grace and goodness, and she is unfailingly supportive and kind, and she's a nice girl. That bolstered my belief that nice girls can finish first. And my husband laughs at me now because whenever something happens, someone accomplishes something, or maybe someone has something that I want. They have a job that I want. They have a house that I want. It can be a material thing, anything. Right. I always physically cheer, good for her, and that's for me. And so we can cheer on the successes of other people while we also say, I want that too. It doesn't take anything from us for other people. In fact, it shows us that energy is shifting. They did it. How can I do it too? And I think most people like to share with you how they make things happen, how they survived, how they achieved, how they persevered. Don't you? I think so. I clearly, I weren't, that's not... You do. That's not the world that we're living in, unfortunately, sometimes. You know, the world is a very complicated place right now. And mm-hmm. since the day we met, you have shown consistently your integrity, your character, You've always been unfailingly nice and optimistic. Um, I'm certainly not that <laughs> optimistic. I'm much more skeptical. Mm. And you show me that good people can win in a very tangible way. But yeah, okay. You say, and I believe you, <laughs> it's, not, it, it's not that you're pessimistic or cynical. I think you're probably a realist and a pragmatist, if I may. But also... Mm-hmm. I, you're speaking and I'm rewinding the times. Yeah, but look at the times you reached out to me, offered help, provided help, showed up. Those things alone are signs of being hopeful. Thank you. But this isn't about me. I want to kind of go back to something also. I want to really spotlight the work that you're doing for Lisa's Care Connection. You established Lisa's Care Connection because you experienced the full-on assault of what it means in terms of responsibility, not that you resent your person that you're caring for, but the assault of responsibility. But your mom said, tell your story. Can you talk about the story that you're telling and how you're you're using your personal knowledge and love to continue your mom's legacy and how you continue to help other people at Lisa's Care Connection? My mother is still my Jiminy Cricket. She was and is in her heavenly form, incredibly wise. And when I was in grade school, we had a talent show at school 
And I was very upset because I had no talent. I mean, truly can't whistle. <laughs> you know, I, I can't hula hoop. It's bad. You are way more talented with other things than hula hooping. <laughs> I think you've done quite well for yourself without hula hooping. Uh, so I, you know, you're like in the fifth or sixth grade and it's, there's a talent show. It's a lot of pressure. So I came home to mom crying that I didn't have a talent and she did not play victim well and didn't like her children to whine and complain, which has been a big life lesson for me. You know, don't be that woman who's raising her hand in the meeting about, well, we've always done it this way and that doesn't work, you know, be part of the solution. So that started for me when my, my mother said to me, hush, you've got a talent. I'm thoroughly convinced she made it up. So I'm sniveling, you know, what was my talent? I really don't have a talent. And she goes, shush up, Lisa Kim. You are a storyteller. And that was brilliant on my mom's part. I put that label on and she goes, you're going to go back for that talent show. And you're going to come up with a story and you're going to stand up there and tell the best story of your life. It fit me. It gave me a place to hide. It gave me a focus. We all have labels that we create for ourselves or that have been created for us. Yes. So from that moment on, that's why I became a journalist. And when I was in college studying broadcast journalism was Barbara Walters was one of my heroes as she has been for so many. And my classmates in my Broadcasting 101 class uh, said to me, on the day that Barbara Walters was named the first female anchor of the nightly network news, making a million dollars. This was like a, a ticket to paradise. I thought it was truly the biggest headline of all time. And I went back to my little class and I said, did you hear about that? Barbara Walters, she's making a million dollars. She's making more than the men, uh, more than Harry Reasoner. I mean, these are old references for people that right. are younger. He was an anchor. And she was the first. And I said, even then, I'm going to do that. I'm going to make a million dollars in the broadcast business. I'm, that's what I'm going to do. And they looked at me and they said, Lisa, come on, girl. You're from Irmo, South Carolina. You're not even <laughs> going to get out of town, much less <laughs> make a million dollars. And, and my mother, once again, was able to refocus me, you know, keep your eye on the prize. If that's your burning desire, put your blinders on. Don't look at them. They're just distractions. Don't look at them. I've used that advice over and over. And when she got sick, it was the same advice. Tell your story. Make it count. Tell your story. I was really comfortable telling other people's stories mm -hmm. or trying to get them to reveal their stories and their truths. It was harder to be the first person narrative of this story, especially when I didn't want to write this story. I did not want to wear that sweater that said caregiver. Right. So what people do, I you know. That's scratchy. That's itchy. That doesn't fit me. That's not mine. That's not my color. I'm going to put it up in the closet. Right. And ultimately, you have to kind of face the deal like, this won't surprise you. I have a lot of images that influence me and remind me um, of what's in my own best interest. And one is to think about an eagle and the storm. So when storms happen, most birds will seek shelter and try to get out of it. But the eagle goes above it, right? Changes the optics on it and gets above that bad weather. It, you can't always do it. There are times now when I, I'll be in a position to try and help somebody, talk with somebody, which is my greatest joy in life. And someone calls our foundation and they say, I don't even know why I called you. Of course you don't, right? 
that's not the point. When I'm able to be that person, sometimes I still get that wave of, I want my mommy. Yeah. You know, I want her to see what's happening because she told me, tell your story. So I think for all of us, you know, it's that age old advice in writing and journalism school, they used to tell you to kill your darlings. You know, like you write the story and you have all these things in there and you think it's so great, but it's not helping you get to the point. So you have to edit, edit, edit. Right. You know, we live in a culture where we're very accustomed to editing things and our technology. We're very accustomed to fixing things in our operating system for our devices when it's not working. We don't often own our own operating system. We don't understand what it is that makes us run smoothly, what it is that gets glitches in us. When we do that, that's the essence of your story, right? What are the things that cause you to say no or yes or get afraid? I have this thing called say no by saying yes, because yes is your empowerment system. Say no by saying yes. So I look at what's my empowerment system. In order to be good at being me or to be my best self, I need things to feel empowered. I need to feel respected. I need to feel that I have enough time. Okay. There's certain things that need to be in place or that I'd rather have in place. And then I feel like I can at least do my best. Okay. So that's different for everybody. So if someone says to you, will you take my shift at work tonight? Will you bring cookies for the bake sale? Mm -hmm. Little things, big things. We often, those of us who are founding members of the Perpetual People Pleasers Society, (laughs) um, we will often say- In the club, in the club. Yeah. Great. Thank you. We'll often say yes. And then we hang up the phone or we close the door and we go, why did I do that? Mm, Yeah. And if you just remind yourself, that's not my empowerment system, no. So the answer is- no. And you could be nice about it. Yeah. I'm afraid I can't help this time. I'm not, I'm not able to do that right now. Right. Call on me again. Or if you don't want to be called on again, don't add that part. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the way you laid out being a caregiver and being assaulted is a very accurate description, but that you continue to pay it forward by caring and never losing sight of other people and being compassionate. So you have really established a a foundation that has given support to a completely unsupported and almost unrecognized community of people that are working their face off. You know, if anything happens to the caregivers, the whole train stops, right? Yeah. The person that needs the care isn't getting it. The, you know, the practical side of just living, like paying bills and getting food on the table doesn't happen. So I just think your foundation is so critically important that you, and you continue to really care about every person that, that enters and you're giving up a, a place of respite and, and love and care to the people that are really not being seen by society. You're so right about that not being seen. And here's why it matters. It matters on a lot of levels, but pragmatically, when you're providing care for another person, you are under assault from your autoimmune system. This is scientifically real. And we were talking earlier about, you know, why it's so hard to get to the store and why it's so hard to pay the bills. Part of it is you've got this pressure assault uh, on your autoimmune system, and that translates into potentially 10 years off your life. So 
just because you either get to, because it is an incredible honor and it is a growth opportunity, it's also an overwhelming burden. And because you're the one caring, you may die 10 years earlier in your life. In fact, statistically, uh, many caregivers die before their diagnosed loved ones. So when I started the foundation, I looked at what's my seat at the table? What can I offer? And yes, at, you know, legislative advocacy, yes, fundraising, yes, research, all of it is vitally important. But what I could change was that number. So how can we get caregivers to hold on to themselves while they're letting go of someone that they love? How can we focus on what's left and not what's lost? How can we say to them, you can, as my mother always said, show up, do your best, let go of the rest. How can we help them let go of the rest so that they can not just very simply not die prematurely because they're caregivers? There's nothing about that that's okay. So that number, we can 100% change. I just think it's incredible that you continue to be such a champion for so many people, not just the caregiving community, which is in desperate need for support and resources, but just overall. So being that, I also know you started an app for wellness. Mm. Can you tell me a little bit about the app and what you're trying to create? Oh, I'd love to because any of us that are focused on our brain health journey, and if you've got generations of people in your family with Alzheimer's, first of all, that for a second, just because you do have generations of people in your family with the disease doesn't mean you're going to get it. And just because you don't doesn't mean you're safe from getting it. So we all need to get used to going to our doctors. And when they say, well, let's check your heart, let's check your cholesterol. So you're 25, you're 30, you're 35. Let's check your brain health. Let's check your brain functionality because our brain span should be as long as our lifespan. Duh. But it's not. Right. So we, we've got to incorporate that into our, our well visits. And doctors will tell you that their number one prescription mm -hmm. for everyone, really, um, is walking. And if you can walk with a friend and talk about the things that matter to you, that is the trifecta of effectiveness. Mm -hmm. The socialization, the sharing of problems and values getting outside or even in a gym, walking around your house. If you can do those things, you're going to just a little bit every day, you're going to be able to stave off lots and lots of health problems. So this app is about walking, which sounds so basic, but when you join uh, the Every Step program, it's called Every Step, and it's on a platform called openfit.com. Okay. So if anybody's interested, you go to openfit.com backslash Lisa, and I'll tell you all about it. But what we do is we're a community globally of people who walk. You got 15 minutes, you got 25 minutes, you got 45 minutes, and you get a live trainer in your ear helping you meet your own goals. That's awesome. And then you take pictures of wherever you are. Like if I'm in the desert, I take pictures of my hike that day and put it in the chat. Someone in the UK is, you know, up to their waist in snow and they take a picture and share that. But to know that you're all together sharing something really helps that mental health opportunity of being connected. And that makes us better. That's awesome. That's just a really fun thing. It's always been my sanity sanctuary and I'm, I'm really happy to share it. And also walking is is something that everyone can do. Yeah. You know what I mean? For the, It's not like you're running Tough Mudder or something. That's right. You know? It's like, if you said to me, Tough Mudder is great for your mental you know, health, I'd be like, that's great, but I'm going <laughs> to sit on the couch 
and have I know. a cup of coffee. Those people are crazy. They're yeah. amazing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah it's, it's true. And it's no matter what shape you're in today yeah. or no matter how much weight, people are always about the weight they want to lose. Um, and they think, okay, you're just walking. It's amazing what happens. I mean, do you just walk like you're late for something? Okay, that's not too hard. And you start with your personal best, one foot in front of the other. You don't need anything. Is this available on all OSs? Like, yep. Yep. Like Apple and... Everything. Just it's, it's openfit.com if you backslash Lisa, L-E-E-Z-A, and just check it out. See if you like it, get in the community, see how you feel. Um, there's all kinds of other um, fitness opportunities there. So if you want to do the Tough mutter, it's in there. If you want to do yeah. abs and Pilates and all of that, that's all in there too. I appreciate that, but girl, I think I'm just going to hang with you with the walking, <laughs> if that's okay. Um, but yeah, for people who are still kind of struggling to find value in making time to help others or overcoming adversity, what would your best advice be to them? I think you need to just consider yourself in the better business, the betterment of yourself and the betterment of others. That's really our journey together. And, you know, Hemingway famously said the world breaks everyone and some are stronger at the broken places. And uh, all respect to the great Hemingway, I, I, I don't think the world does break everyone. I think it tests everyone. What I have done is incorporate these F words of flexibility, forgiveness for yourself and for others. You know, I live in California and we have those really, really tall palm trees, you know, they're like impossibly tall. And I I walk past those trees and I look up and you wonder how the heck they even stay erect and they bend. It sounds cliche, but I've never seen a broken one. They bend. And the other thing they have is if you look underneath the surface of whether it's a palm tree or whether it's a big sequoia, they have roots that connect with other trees to hold them up. So especially the sequoias, like that's really inspirational to me. When you look at right underneath that soil, they're reaching out. The roots are reaching out so they can lock in with other trees. Well, that's just like we are. I'm what I would call an introverted extrovert. I'm not a very... Really? Yeah. I mean, people are surprised to hear that. I'm I'm not like a big party person. I don't like surprise gatherings and all that. Um, Okay. But I always feel better when I push myself to connect. And when I don't is when I get in trouble. And I do think that's that's true for, for most of us. So you've just been a great piece. You and everyone sharing this time with us today have been a great piece of uh, mental health. So I thank you. Yeah. I love how your F words are very different from my F words. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say for now, being a New Yorker. Okay. So Lisa, I, will you come back and do another one in the future? Oh my gosh, that'd be, it would be my pleasure. You know, I, um, I think we're in the mutual admiration society. I'm crazy about you and I, um, I've loved chatting with you. Thank you so much for being here again. And will you sign us off? Let me know who you are and what you represent. I'm Lisa Gibbons and I represent nice girls, big dreams and new beginnings. I believe that nice does need a rehab in our culture. And I think that who you are today is not who you have to be tomorrow. Any time is a good time to start over. My superpower is optimism. Rose is an underrated color.
And so is Rosé, don't you think? Rosé <laughs> so is really... Rose. <laughs> Amen to that, sister. <laughs> With gratitude and respect to Lisa Gibbons for making time to guest, for sharing her experiences and lessons, and thanks for all that she's doing in the world for others. I'll have Lisa's social media links, links to her book and her foundation and her app in the episode description. If you like this episode, please subscribe and share. And always leave a review wherever you're listening to your pods. This and every episode of Reppin is available for download. So collect them all. Next up on Reppin is Kara Chamberlain, who at 15 was abducted by a serial killer. She's on the show and shares her horrifying experience, but how she's turned that into a position of power and how she's using it to help others. There was one time specifically when my captor told me he was going to make a phone call and he put me back into the container and he put the gag in my mouth and he said, you can't make any sound. Hi everyone, I'm Kara Robinson Chamberlain. My episode of Reppin is coming up next. You do not want to miss that conversation. Let me know your thoughts and feedback, or if you just want to say hi, you can find me on Twitter at Reppin Podcast or Instagram at Reppin underscore podcast. Always thanks to Nelson Pinero, who can handle anything I throw at him. BB, thank you. And always love and thanks to Gracie Kong. Reppin is a Suburban Outlaw Productions. Until next time, stand up and represent. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.